One, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. Baby girl. <laughs> baby girl, your mom, baby doll. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> See you on the other side. Welcome along to You Have Been Watching, the podcast that invites a different guest each episode to choose some of their favourite telly shows. They'll be asked to pick four separate shows from each of our categories and a couple of bonus choices as well. Why? Because they've won our made-up competition to spend a weekend away at a luxurious travel lodge in the heart of Preston. Joining me as ever for opinions on the old idiot box is the old bucker Luke Bateman, a man whose pyjama bottoms look like someone slit open bagpipes and turned the fabric into a picnic rug. <laughs> All aboard for a lanky lunch! And travelling behind at a snail's pace is my best mate and arch nemesis Elliot Williams, a man whose dressing gown, it's fair to say, is as sophisticated as he is. On an unrelated note, it's bright blue and has the cookie monster on it. <laughs> Salutations, young man. <laughs> and to you, yes. Hello, hello there to all our listeners in the UK and a huge healthy hello to all our overseas listeners too. It's official. We are the podcast that is listened to in 28 countries. So it's a huge and hearty konnichiwa to our one listener in Japan, a tremendous Joe Napo to our one listener in Hungary, a beautiful Ola to our one listener in Brazil, and so on and so on. For those countries yet to join us, what are you waiting for? You're all very welcome, whatever language you speak. We extend a large Yasu to those in Greece, Ni Hao to those in China, and a hearty salve to any Latin listeners that may or may not be on the fence about downloading and subscribing the podcast. I said downloading. <laughs> if I'm honest, if you're still practicing a Latin... Oh, God. Downloading. Downloading. Beaker from the Muppets. <laughs> yeah, it was, it's exactly what I thought. <laughs> if you're still a practicing Latin speaker, it's probably not for you, is it? <laughs> But still, good news for us. We're worldwide. <laughs> but it is a fact, though, isn't it? We are being listened to in 28 countries. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. We'll absolutely take that. Uh, so, so welcome to the internationally recognised podcast that people are literally loving all over the world. Uh, well, we can sort of say that in the loosest yeah. possible sense. I'm not sure I got all the pronunciations right. I I've been working hard all day. <laughs> I've got nothing else to do. Rather you than me, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I wasn't sure on Joe Napot for Hungary. I'm not, not so sure about uh, that. I didn't, but... even know, I, I didn't even know what they speak in Hungary. <laughs> what do they speak? Um, I think they speak Hungarian. I did look it up on Google earlier. I did do some real thing? research, I promise you. Uh, what, Hungarian? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure it is, yeah. Really? I hope so, anyway. Yeah, I hope so. Oh, yeah. Well, fair enough. Well, thank you very much, all my, all my Hungarian friends. I... I love the language. I'm a big fan. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to pick you up, actually, on your joke about my pajama bottoms. Go on. Me. Uh, I did used to own a pair of pajama bottoms uh, that used to be checkered. Uh, these aforementioned bottoms were a bit like uh, a rug or a checkered rug or a kilt. Um, they were bought by my mother, and I haven't actually worn them for about three years. I actually, in bed, ladies, ladies um, <laughs> wear boxers and a top. I don't want to, you know, it's pre-watershed stuff. But... There's nothing sexual than a, than a man whose mother buys his own trousers. 
Well, listen, it was some years ago, and I don't want the fact that I don't sleep in pajama bottoms to be too sexy for people to contemplate at this time of the <laughs> podcast. Gross. But to be fair, I do wear character-based pajamas and onesies. Oh dear, which me. is shameful to admit. I've got the Muppets. I've got the Cookie Monster. I've never worn the Cookie Monster pajama bottoms as well as the Cookie Monster dressing gown. That's a bit too much, I think. Actually, no. The only one that isn't character-based is a full English breakfast. I've got a load of sausages and eggs all over me. I, I do not want to know where the sausages are. <laughs> that is repulsive. It's fine. They're scattered. They're scattered all around. It's all good. I'm, I'm in the slippers now. You don't wear slippers. You think I'm a freak, don't you? I think you're a freak. <laughs> well, I like them. Oh, they're comfortable. I take my slippers everywhere. I took them uh, to university. I take them to people's houses when I go and stay. Do you think that's weird? Yeah, that, well, no, I know it's weird. You've done it. You've come around mine. You've worn, you've worn slippers before. I know. You only live five minutes away. <laughs> No, no, but it, but it doesn't matter about the distance. I don't know why I said that because I want to, I like to be comfortable. I don't really like socks. I don't like bare feet. That's unhygienic. So slippers is a nice thing to What's do. What's wrong with socks? Um, because you're still stepping on crumbs. You can still feel you're stepping on mini cheddar crumbs. That's not your house per se. You're not a mini cheddar. Uh, well, I don't nice. like mini cheddars for starters. <laughs> Now, I've told a few people that we've got this guest coming on today, and people have been really excited. We have got a Star Wars puppeteer coming on the show. So not just a Star Wars puppeteer, a puppeteer in general who has worked on Star Wars. Yeah, I cannot wait to hear his stories from the set of Star Wars. I don't know where puppets fit in, personally, but they do somehow, don't they? I love puppets. Growing up, even now, you know, I still watch kids' shows, and I still love watching puppets. I think it's fantastic, so I'm really looking forward to seeing how he got into it. We've got loads to ask him, and you also have a huge collection of puppets that I'd quite like you to tell him about, really. <laughs> I do. I have about two, three hundred. That is a lot of puppets. Yes. Some would say you're um, a bit strange. Where are mm. they kept? Uh, I think they're lovingly kept in a box in the garage. Where you had those that, that litter of cats being born quite <laughs> you can't mention the cats. <laughs> I we didn't know. We didn't know there were cats there, Luke. They're in the garage. And we, we one day we just saw a little kitten come out. And then we went back in and there were like five cats in there. Oh, my goodness. You didn't know anything about it? Well, no, we haven't got any cats. That is such a good point. They were like, they were, <laughs> they were like nestled in the back. Kitten came out first. And then we're like, what is the kitten doing in there? And then there's more kittens and kitten, kitten, kitten. I think there was about seven. I bet you got the shock of your life. Well, I did. And then three of them died in the garage. <laughs> Things just don't go well for me in terms of puppetry. (laughs) (laughs) That is the most niche segue I've ever heard in my life. Uh, Things don't go well because I always get something wrong or I always do something stupid. Now, there was this particular time I was working on a TV show and I got given this black box and I had to carry it from one end of the studio through some corridors to another. Well, halfway through the corridor, I saw a friend and went, cooey! and tried to wave and I dropped this massive box I thought oh god I've dropped this box I wasn't supposed to anyway I'll open it up and see what's inside it and it was the Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy from Disney thankfully they didn't break that is absolutely incredible that was the original Miss Piggy and Kermit or, or at least the one that they're using yeah, currently yeah yeah that is incredible and I was working on the set of this show that they had to build a specialist sofa so they could get the puppets underneath and this man can lay underneath all that stuff he does both voices of Kermit and Miss Piggy it's really good side note how impressive is that And there was this old woman who was wandering around. I thought, what's she doing wandering around? Basically, her job was that every time Kermit stopped moving or the puppeteer got off in order to take the head off Kermit, her job was to put a bit of black cloth over Kermit's disheveled body where he had no head so that no one could take any photos of Kermit without a head or Miss Piggy without an arm and therefore getting rid of the whole name of Disney. 
How fascinating. I'll pay God. thousands to travel around the world putting cloths on things. But it's quite it's quite a dark image, that, really. It kind of um, ruins the magic, doesn't it? It's like at Disneyland when you walk around and then you uh, you see Minnie Mouse take a hat off and say, right, it's break time now, I'm going to go for a fag. <laughs> I think legally they don't do that. But I did hear one once say that. It was the Chippendales. Uh, are they, are they called the I'm Chippendales? I'm sorry, what, what were you doing <laughs> at the Chippendales? No. Are they called the Chippendales? Do you mean Alvin and the Chipmunks? No, Chippendale. Well, they called... well, where, where were you? In a Skegness working men's club? <laughs> No, in Disneyland Paris. What was it called? The Chip and Dale? I don't think it's the Chip and Dale. Yeah, the little chipmunks. They're from the Full Monty. They're no. They're the tops off. <laughs> shut up. It's Chip and Dale, I think. Oh, do you mean Chip and Dale? A double yeah, shut up. Yes. Oh, I see, I see. I don't know who Chip and Dale is. It's like Chaz and Dave. No, they're like squirrels. They're oh, characters. Honestly. Basically, someone came over to one of the Chip or Dale, one of the two, and said, all right, Martin, five minutes left. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and the day went or whatever went, yeah, all right. It really ruins it, doesn't it? They really shouldn't be yeah. allowed to do that. <laughs> I think I'm going to get threats to the post from Disney. I've revealed Kermit the Frog and I've revealed Chippendales speaking out of tone. And if you give us some information from the Star Wars franchise, such as J.J. Abrams did this on set or Ron Howard started abusing the puppets behind the scenes, then we also are going to get sued and it won't be in the show. So I hope he gives us some legal information. Mm, or R2-D2s into BDSM. So here on You Have Been Watching, we imagine that our special guest has won a weekend away in a hotel room in Preston, where all they can do is lie back and watch telly. They'll be choosing four of their favourite ever TV shows, and we'll be hearing why they've chosen them and what it means to them. At the end, we'll also ask them which television personality they want to spend their weekend with and what they'd like to eat. Our competition winner today is Hugh Purvis. Born 15th of July 1994, presumably conceived around 15th of October 1993, Hugh was raised in Southampton. He's a professional puppeteer with extensive experience performing for theatre, TV and film. Based in the UK, in London now, Hugh is a puppet master unlike any you've seen before. Forget sooty and sweep or elderly entertainers at children's parties, the kind of puppets Hugh designs, builds and animates have made a major mark on the entertainment industry in recent years. For the stage, he helped create puppets for the English National Opera's Madame Butterfly, and the Old Vic's production of The Lorax by Dr. Zeus. For TV, his puppets have contributed to Tesco and Transpanel Express adverts, and the 2019 family adventure feature, The Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance, which was bought by Netflix and produced by the famous Jim Henson Company, the group behind The Muppets. In addition, he helped to animate the music video for Coldplay's single Daddy, which has been seen online by over 13 million people. More recently, he has become a fully-fledged Hollywood contributor. His creations were featured in the 2018 horror film Possum, and again in Solo, a Star Wars story directed by the legendary Ron Howard. He was also a creature suit performer for the J.J. Abrams directed The Rise of Skywalker, the latest instalment in the Star Wars franchise, which was nominated at the 2020 Academy Awards for not one, not two, but three Oscars. Mr. Hugh Purvis really is with us via video chat, hopefully looking forward to a natter about TV or else he's agreed to be on the wrong show. Hello, Hugh. Any discrepancies at all other than me off air getting your name wrong and then going back to do it again? Uh, there's no discrepancies, although you did big up my career slightly bigger than it is. No, not at all. These are all things you've done. You should be very proud of yourself. I myself am a massive fan of puppets and puppetry, so I can't wait to talk to you about that. But what was your journey into puppetry? Was it something you always wanted to do or did you stumble across it? 
I stumbled across it. I was uh, I went to see a play called Lily Through the Dark, uh, which was the first time I'd seen like real puppetry on stage that wasn't just Punch and Judy. And the whole hour and a half, I was completely like enraptured by it. I was busting for a piss at the end, but I didn't want to leave. And since then, I've just gotten into making puppets and performing puppets. Uh, it's actually really nice. So the person who made that show, I met on my first day. She was on Solo as well. So it was very like, you know, all these famous Hollywood people were around. But actually seeing her, the, the person who made me a puppeteer, just sitting in a tent ready to do exactly the same job that I was going to do was brilliant. Wow, that's quite incredible. So it wasn't something you, you did as a kid. Do you remember watching a lot of kids' puppet shows? I remember watching them, but I don't remember like thinking, oh, I want to do that until I actually saw this play. And I thought that's exactly what, you know, that's the way I want to tell stories from now on. You know, I thought it was going to be a musical theatre actor, but then I literally saw that play and went, nope, puppets, 100%. Well, it must be so difficult, though, to actually be doing the performing because designing and, and creating the puppets is one thing in a workshop or at home. But actually, when you're when you're performing, which you often do do, you're putting yourself in uncomfortable positions. You're having to strain your body. Could you talk to us a little bit about that and whether you have to go through a process, whether you have to get in shape before you go and perform as a puppet? Uh, it is an absolute nightmare. <laughs> it looks it. <laughs> I do. Uh, I try to do like, you know, yoga and stretching and stuff before you do a particularly difficult job. And I got a personal trainer for Star Wars because the suit was so heavy and yet you spend hours in it all day. So you have to be able to carry it. But in general, it's all right. You don't often have to do very, very long stints in awkward positions and they give you the chance to stretch out and stuff. But definitely at the end of some days of work, you feel like you'll be beaten up. What's the traditional warm up for a puppeteer? I warm up my hands. Yeah, lots uh, of finger waggling. Lots of fingers, and I put elastic bands around them so that that gets nice and warm. Now, and that it, really is an insight. Nobody would yeah. <laughs> Do you have lots of like, elastic band scars by the end of a shoot? Yeah. No, like, uh, I use, and I do it on the tube as well. If I'm going on the way to work, I just have loads of elastic bands around my hand and, and, and try and exercise that muscle to get ready for the day. Oh, you're that guy on the tube. <laughs> <laughs> and then most of it's just, you know, shoulders and back. You've got to make sure that you can do that for a very long time. If you can see on a podcast, but my hand is above my head. <laughs> There are so many different things you can do with puppets. Are you mainly, I don't know how you describe it, are you a puppeteer or do you do voices as well as the different types? How would you describe it? I call myself a puppeteer, but part of that is, you know, acting and doing voices and occasionally not even puppeteering a character. But, you know, for the Tesco advert, we were just moving bags of spinach. <laughs> so I, I call myself a puppeteer to encapsulate all the different weird jobs that come as part of that. Do you do a lot of voices as a puppeteer? What's some of the, the more famous ones or the more regular ones that you've done in the past? I've only recently started to get jobs to where I get to do the voices as well. So often you, you do the visuals, but you don't get to do the voices to get someone else in. But I've done a few jobs recently where I've been doing the voices. So I did a show called Through the Fairy Door, which is on YouTube, where I played two characters. One of them was called Snooze and he talked like that. <laughs> the other one was called Spring Slug and he talked like this. <laughs> kind of, amazing. kind of Welsh, may I say? Because you also do a show on YouTube uh, called uh, where is it? Let me fucking note somewhere. Uh, Welsh, Welsh with woe, isn't it? <laughs> Let me start no, that one again. Off the, off the tongue, that. <laughs> I've written in such a stupid ad writing. So Woe Adams is a Welsh drag queen, and she is teaching the kids and everyone else how to speak Welsh. And I play a, a couple of puppet characters around her, so I get to do all the voices there, obviously, because it's my flat, it's my rules. <laughs> I play a lot of D and D, which gives me the chance to kind of flex the voice muscles a little bit but yeah i'd love to do more and more. that's that is that dungeons and dragons i'm yes, not, 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 not dpd the curious service is that right no no dungeons and dragons the nerdy one <laughs> 
is there sort of you know the first rule of Fight Club is not talk about Fight Club? Is there any sort of thing that you're not really allowed to say that is an unwritten rule of puppetry land? Not so much. It's to be a puppeteer, you have to be good at being very very close to people for long periods of time. You do jobs where you're so close that you can feel their armpit hair grow against your cheek. <laughs> so you have to like be a nice person. If you're an absolute bastard, then you're less likely to get the work just because people have to be near you the whole time. So yeah, just be be a nice person. Work as part of a team. That's the main rule, I think. Most of the time, if you're doing a puppet for a big thing, there's two or three people at least making it live. So if you're that one person who's trying to get all the attention, then the you know the puppet's just going to have one arm that's kind of wildly waving, and that's no good at all. You have to work as part of a team, coordinated effort to bring the character to life. I trained at the Curious School of Puppetry on the ten-week course they did there, but most of my learning has come from just working and meeting people and talking to people and and starting off very small jobs with them, learning from them and asking lots of questions on set. But yeah, it's this thing that you can't you can't think you can just immediately do it without any training. There's got to be some level of practice, even if it's self-taught. You've got to have the passion to keep going and learning and learning and learning and getting better. And that ten-week course was that was that really hard? Was that like a military training course, but for puppets? It was quite intensive. It was six days a week, ten till six p.m. with some evening stuff as well. It's a really good course, actually. I'd recommend it to anyone who wants to be a puppeteer. Uh, it teaches theatre, it teaches film, but more importantly, it teaches the kind of general thought process and how to bring an inanimate thing to life, which I think is the, the way of thinking about it. Is you're bringing a, an inanimate thing to life, telling a story with it, and learning how to do that in a general sense helps you do every other little job in between. Now I remember as a child watching so many different shows that included puppets. I mean, it was basically everywhere. There were shows like the Sooty Show, Sesame Street, Button Moon, Moppetop Shop, Rainbow, The Who was Rosie and Jim, even Bear in the Big Blue House. A lot of Jim Henson, obviously. But there are so many shows growing up that I loved as well. Was that a big part of your life? I know you weren't necessarily rehearsing and practicing with puppets then, but was that in your subconscious? Do you think? When I was younger, I didn't think in my head like, oh yeah, I really like these puppets. It's when I started to get into puppets that I thought back and realized, oh, so many of these cool things were puppets. I just took for granted. You know, you just you watch it, but you don't appre- you don't think, oh, this is a puppet. How cool! You think, oh, how you know what a fun story they're telling. These are great images. So I watched all the shows, all the kids shows, but I didn't get an appreciation for what it was until after I'd already decided that's what I wanted to do and done the research and realized how much it was in in culture and society. Like I loved Star Wars when I was a kid. I loved it. I didn't think that they, the aliens were puppets in Star Wars. I just really liked Star Wars. It was when I was later, and they go, "Oh my god!" Also, the technological capabilities of what they were doing back then is so cool. Could we get on to Star Wars then? How did that come about? How did you get the gig, and, and what was it like being around the set, being around a franchise that you said you've loved since you were six years old? Brian came to do a talk at the puppetry school, and Sarah asked me to do his tech for him. And by chance, we both arrived about an hour and a half early, so we're just hanging around in the kitchen waiting for the school day to end. This was the second year, so I wasn't actually studying at that point. Uh, and we just got to talking, drinking a bit of wine, uh, talking about where we like puppets, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And, and then I just got really cheeky and said, "Oh, Brian, can I send you a CV, please?" I really like Star Wars. I really like puppets. And he said, no promises, but, you know, send it to me, see what I can do. But absolutely, you know, I don't recommend just sending your CV to random people. That's not how things are done. But luckily, in that situation, they had, they were casting a big scene in uh, Solo where they needed about 30 or so puppeteers. So they thought they'd take the chance on someone as massively untested as I was. And I'd done one film at that point. So I guess I wasn't completely green. But yeah, they took a chance on me. So who did you play in the Star Wars film? Were there, were there a series of characters or were you one one puppet specifically? In Solo, I was a tentacle in a pond and an eel in a vat. 
uh, very backgroundy things. And then on Rise of Skywalker, I got brought on to do an actual suit character. So that was a character's name is Huper Tenrex. Huper because Hugh Purvis, and then Tenrex because he looks a bit like a hedgehog. Wow, that's really cool. They do that as often as they can. It was it was only after the film came out and the art book came out that I found out the character's name. You know, and they, they write your backstory and stuff and do extra stuff. So there's there's loads of people who have little like uh, hidden extras to do with themselves, whether it's their name, whether it's where they come from or whether it's some funny like story about them. There's lots of little little things, which I think is really cute. Yeah, Huber Tenrex. And then I also played uh, a baby Aki Aki on Pasana. So the little baby aliens like and a few other little bits of animatronic stuff here and there. But yeah, it was it was the best time of my life. It was brilliant. Was it as magical as people imagine it to be around the sets? That's the thing. It wasn't green screen. They they build it. There's a there's a couple of bits of green screen here and there when there has to be. But walking on to the set, it's the, the spaceships are there. The aliens are all there. Everything is is real and it's absolutely amazing. And on the production side of it, there's hundreds of people on set, all of them like the best at, in the world at their job. And just being part of that atmosphere and seeing them do what they do is just incredible. I, I would sit there and just stare and wait and watch all these people go around. No, it was never a dull moment. Brian Herring actually has a good quote that he told me. He said, they pay you for your time and the work is free because it's just about waiting until you're called waiting and doing what you're told. That's a really good quote, actually. Just finally, because you're an expert in your field, whether you think so or not, you, you are, you must have obviously a great sense of what is good and what is bad in the industry. Like if you're a filmmaker, you, you you know what a good film is, you know what a bad film is. What sort of puppetry should we be looking at and saying that's great? War Horse is great and it, it kind of really opened up the world of puppetry to a lot more theatre productions since it came out. And I think the theatre industry has been forever changed because of it. You know, it's probably a grandiose way of saying it. But War Horse did a lot to help audiences see what amazing puppetry is. I think the danger when it comes to bad puppetry someone lying and saying they can do puppetry when actually can't have been trained or this, that and the other, that happens all the time. And it's the same with singing and it's the same with accents. People just lie and then they can get caught out on it. Well, I think the danger is when people put puppets into things that they don't need to be puppets. They're kind of a gimmick or a novelty. I like puppets and I like seeing puppets, but sometimes you watch a play and you go, actually, that needs to be a puppet. And the puppetry has suffered because of it. You could have done that with an actor or you could have done that with another kind of effect. That, that's what I think the danger is. But I'm, I'm really happy that puppetry has become so prominent in the public consciousness recently with things like the new Star Wars sequels, bringing more practical effects in, uh, with War Horse and with you know, lots of Edinburgh shows using puppets now so that more audiences can just get a chance to see them and then decide for themselves what they think is good puppetry and what they think is bad puppetry. We're going to have a lot of people listening to this podcast today who themselves might be thinking they want to get into puppetry do you have any advice or any warnings for the people who, who maybe want to get into puppetry who are listening now? I think definitely check out the Curious School of Puppetry. If not, there are loads of online resources. Uh, just keep practicing. Practice, practice, practice. Set up your phone to record who's doing it. Watch it back. Say, oh, okay, that was real. That wasn't real. Watch and kind of study animation. It's quite a useful tool for puppetry because they have to tell stories and certain rhythms with non-human characters because it's drawn. That's really useful. If you really, really care about it, use that passion to drive what it can be very annoying and arduous and physically difficult training things. And elastic bands around your hands, why not? 
congratulations, Hugh. You've won a luxury weekend break to the idyllic city of Preston, where you'll be spending all your time in the finest twin bedroom Preston's Travelodge has to offer. It's common knowledge there's little to do in Preston other than to sit in bed all day and watch television. We hope you have a pleasant stay. So you've got four TV options that you get to take with you on a memory stick to Preston. We narrow them down into four options. You know those in advance, but we'll hear about your options in a second. And you also get two bonus choices, a TV personality to spend the weekend watching television with and an unlimited snack as well. But we'll get onto those a little bit later on. So your first TV choice, Hugh, is going to be a TV show that makes you think of your childhood. That was a difficult one because I watched so much TV when I was younger. But I think what sticks out in my memory is that the only thing I ever got up early on a Saturday to watch was Yu-Gi-Oh. Yu-Gi-Oh is, is yeah, a Japanese cartoon taken by an American company and dubbed over. And it's about people fighting each other with a card game. And it just it was so good. It was so camp and dramatic and they had cards and you could buy the cards. So I had all the cards as well that I could I could play that with my friends. And the story was so over the top and ridiculous. But yes, yeah, the only thing I got up early for because it was so I wanted to know what happened next. I wanted to know what cards they played next to win. I remember everyone in the playground, they used to trade the Yugo cards, as you were saying, and you'd come out at break time and everyone had all these cards, that and Pokemon, all scattered around and there was tradings going on, there were sly things happening. And they just play cards and they trap each other's souls in the Shadow Realm and then they stop their friends from being trapped in the Shadow Realm and there's weird love subplots that don't really matter because they're not about playing cards. Dramatic set pieces all around the fact that these different card games are happening in competition. I remember the back of the trading cards that Elliot mentioned, and you mentioned as well, they were like a, like a sort of black sort of circle and then a sort of goldy, rose gold vortex going around, something like yeah, that. Yeah, I th- I, if you want, I'll get you one. Hang on. Oh, please, please. <laughs> Nobody else can see this but us. It is, uh, it is audio. This is my box of Yu-Gi-Oh cards from when I was a young boy. This is Amazing. an Tupperware. That's massive. Oh, that's the, that's yeah, the that's the boy. And then that's the back. Uh, <laughs> this, this particular card is called Vampire Genesis. It is uh, an eight-star card that's really good. It's a zombie type. It has an effect that you have to summon it by sacrificing other vampires. Uh, and the back is a black and gold swirl with Konami and Yu-Gi-Oh, the trading card game, written on it. Could we compare another one to a higher or lower? So, well, Vampire Genesis. His attack power is 3,000. And who's he up against? He's up against Swarm of Locusts. Oh, they sound dangerous. It's only three stars, attack 1,000, so the Vampire Genesis obliterates the Swarm of Locusts. It sounds like it would as well. Yeah. A few Locusts against a Vampire Genesis. But they are a swarm. They had no chance, so he must be really powerful, Vampire Genesis. And it was animation, wasn't it? What kind of animation was it? Was it, was it, it wasn't stop motion, was it? It was anime, so it had some bits where it was more expensive to draw and they had lots of intricate details and some bits where it wasn't. It's just a you know, classic anime show. What would you describe as anime? Uh, animation produced in Japan, I think. And Yu-Gi-Oh! was originally made in Japan and then it was bought by an American company who put their American voices over it. Oh, right. So something like Pokemon is also anime? I'd call it that. I think there's I, there's people who know more about it and more passionate about it than I am. But I think it's animation made in Japan and it's anime. That's my theory. I'm willing to be tweeted at to be corrected. <laughs> and then you'd go and try and get your packets of cars to try and get the same ones they had in the TV show? Oh, I couldn't afford the ones they had in the TV show. They were the special cards. <laughs> oh, were they? Different levels. Oh, dear me. Dear me. I could buy the, the basic booster packs, but I, I couldn't go for a Blue Eyes White Dragon. They're like 40 <laughs> It is always the way, isn't it? It is always the way. Life's cruel. Why Yu-Gi-Oh over Pokemon? Because many people much prefer Pokemon, and Yu-Gi-Oh is a slightly um, malnourished younger brother and the slightly less famous one. Why have you gone for Yu-Gi-Oh? 
don't get me wrong, I did watch Pokemon as well. I just think Yu-Gi-Oh! had the high-stakes drama that I was looking for. Pokemon, the drama was there, but it was it was less demons and sh- and shadow realms, you know? It was a bit it was a bit more provincial to my six-year-old, seven-year-old brain. It really okay. is all about those shadow realms. Talking of shadow realms, number two is a TV show that gets you laughing. That has got nothing to do with shadow realms. <laughs> no, absolutely nothing. <laughs> I like comedies and I watch them a lot, but I wanted to try and say something that I thought I wanted to bring to more people's attention. It's a show called Nathan For You. I've heard of this. Uh, yes. I've heard of, could you explain? It's a show where a character, also I think a real life person called Nathan Fielder, goes to businesses, struggling businesses, and comes up with ideas to save their business. And his ideas are always reasonable in a sense in that they probably will work, but also completely ridiculous in other ways. I and do know this. I think I've seen some of these on YouTube and they are amazing. They're like huge spoofs, aren't they? You, you may have heard that he did Dumb Starbucks a few years ago. He I have heard of that, yeah. Dumb Starbucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did one called Smoking Aloud, where he put two theatre seats in the corner of a bar and sold tickets so that the bar was a theatre show. In California, you're allowed to smoke in a, in a theatre show. And it's things like that. Like, technically, they work, but they're so stupid. And his, the genius of him is that he's so unassuming as a character that people just go along with it and they want to talk. Like, he lets them speak and speak and speak because they don't think that he's a threat at all because he's just kind of this nerdy Canadian guy who talks in a really monotone, basic voice and comes up with these crazy ideas. People go along with it and it's so brilliant because it's just so deadpan and I can't get enough of it. Imagine Sasha Baron Cohen turned down to zero. (laughs) He gets them to say the weird stuff that they didn't think they'd ever say. You know, he just brings it out of people. So, you know, security guard who's addicted to looking at boobs. He didn't ask him. He just let the security guard speak and the security guard came out with it himself. You know, there's there's little bits of that he sneaks in that are really sweet. Like, I don't know if it's true about Nathan in real life, but certainly the character he plays is fairly lonely. He doesn't really have a lot of friends or people in his life. So he kind of sneaks that into some of the interactions he has with these you know, everyday real people that are very touching, but also very, very funny. Very selfless of you to choose that just to raise awareness of the show, even if it wasn't your totally favourite show, laughing-wise. Well, I, I like to use my enormous celebrity and fame to help those less successful than me. That's... That is very charitable of you, and we salute you for it. Let's see if the next one is a charitable choice. It's number three. It's a TV show that gets you sweating. The reason I chose it is not because, intrinsically, the show itself makes me sweat, but the whole... The fact that the show was cancelled after one season, that upsets me. Uh, That's Firefly. Oh, Oh, yes. I I don't know this at all. It's a Joss Whedon show that he did long, long time ago. And I only didn't watch it on TV when I was out. I watched it on DVD because a friend recommended it. But it's this amazing Western sci-fi series. Uh, It's got Nathan Fillion in it. It's got Marina Baccarin in it. Alan Tudyk is in it as well. He's famous. Gina Torres. But it's just the most brilliant sci-fi and it deserved much better than it got. Deserved six, seven series at least. Now, I've only heard this mentioned on the Big Bang Theory before because I know the character Sheldon always tries to ring Fox up to try and get them to, to reissue Firefly. Doesn't it end on a massive cliffhanger? Fox originally did two things. They were, they put it at a really weird time slot so no one watched it, but they also aired the episodes out of order. So it's very difficult to know what the actual ending of the series is. And what it, do you mean it, they aired, aired the episodes out of order? They literally aired them out of order. So I think the last three or last two or three episodes were in the wrong order. So well, the, why would they do that? That's sabotage, isn't it? 
I don't, I don't know why they did it, but they did it. Maybe it was sabotage, maybe it was just a genuine mistake. But it meant that the ending of the series is like, it is a strange cliffhanger because it doesn't feel like the ending of a series. It feels like another very good episode. And there's a, like one episode a couple before that where it feels like, oh, this would be a really strong ending. It's set quite far in the future, isn't it? So can you tell us a little bit about what the actual plot line of the, of the series is? So it's set in a different solar system after a war that's gone on between what is essentially like an evil empire and a rebel alliance. Like it's a classic story like that. And the ship Firefly is crewed by people who were on the losing side of the war. Uh, so now they don't want to go to the central planets, which is where the main force of this evil sci-fi, it's not an, not an empire per se, but it's like a government that they definitely don't agree with. And so they go around the outer planets of the solar system being like cowboys. They managed to do a film in 2005, which was essentially like the button on the end of the series. I think they, they knew that they weren't going to get another series. So they thought, oh, let's at least tell, round off the story, tell the ending of it. The film is, the film is also really good. It's called Serenity. I've probably watched it like entirely through about six or seven times. It's really good. 14 episodes in that first series plus the film. Anyone who recommends Firefly usually does so with a kind of passion about the injustice of it that drives on their recommendation. You're not going to get another series of Firefly. You're not going to be able to watch that again. But that brings us on to our fourth choice. What TV show could you not live without? What is going to be your free hit? It's going to be such a basic bitch answer. The Muppet Show. Yes! <laughs> I just think uh, it may be obvious for a puppeteer to say it, but it's so good and it set off so many imaginations like, about being a puppeteer. There's so many puppeteers that are alive today that probably only exist as puppeteers because of The Muppet Show and maybe Sesame Street and Fraggle Rock and other Henson stuff. But The Muppet Show is just so good. You know, it's, it's that classic fun comedy, but also a little bit naughty, very colourful, lots of good music, celebrity guests. Like It's just well rounded well-made show but there's so much in the show crammed into half an hour there's interviews with celebrities there's elton john there's there's so many of these a-list celebrities and you get sketches as well what was it for you what was your favorite bit of it it's the, it's the old-fashioned vaudeville-style comedy and songs and cabaret, but done with the kind of anarchy of puppets, which I like so much. And the fact that you got to see backstage with like the puppet actors, as you know, Kermit the Frog is actually trying to manage the theatre. There's Scooter who's trying to be his PA. Like all these extra characters beneath the fact that they're doing a show in the fiction. It's just so good. It's a show within a show, as you say, really. It, it, it's quite incredible. And there's so many famous characters that come from it. And obviously we've got so many Muppet movies have spawned from that as well. Do you have a particular favourite character from the Muppets? I really like Lou Zealand. He's not a big Muppet. And he has a big Elizabethan ruff. He's got yellow, like, messy hair. I think he's really fun. But I also have a big soft spot in my heart for all the members of the Electric Mayhem. I went to see the Muppets at the O2 when they came recently and they did a full, like, 15-minute set of just the Electric Mayhem. Is there a particular Muppet that you yourself relate to? In the Muppet film, Walter, that I did like a super fan who just wants to join the Muppets, that's that's absolutely so relatable. Just want to be part of it, just want to go and do stuff with them. You must be inspired constantly by the Muppets, given your career. Elliot is the Miss Piggy to uh, my Kermit, except she's prettier. Could we talk about the, the, the history of the society? When did it come about? Was it, was it the 70s, the 80s, or am I way off here? The Muppet show, it was originally a pilot that Jim Henson did called Sex and Violence. Okay, it's come on... Uh, it's changed a little bit. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, it was the it was the seventies. He obviously he did Sesame Street, which is all kids stuff, and so he wanted to do something that broke away from just being seen as a children's performer. So he came up with this pilot called Sex and Violence, which didn't get picked up, but then eventually became the Muppet Show, where you got to have a bit more not necessarily like dirty jokes, but just a jokes jokes that adults could appreciate. A bit more innuendo. Yeah. Do you think they've ever got anything wrong over the years? Because they've been around ever since then. As Elliot said, they've come back in so many different film formats. You have different producers. You have different celebrities there um, cohabiting with or co-starring with. They will go on forever and ever because they are so iconic. But do you think they've ever got anything wrong over the years? I don't know about getting stuff wrong. I think they've definitely done stuff which has been a bit limited by the technology at the time. So like watching the original Dark Crystal, the film, I think the breadth and intricacy of the world that's created, they weren't quite as ready to make that world as they were with the 2018 series, where they, could, they had all the extra technology, not just in CGI, but also actual animatronic technology to visually support the stories that are being told and sometimes you can see a couple of their heads in the muppet show like you don't mind you know it's the muppets you don't want to you don't want to look for the heads you don't want to be that person who goes oh i see oh then oh okay oh i see they've they've messed that up because it's just so joyful that you don't do that does it make you slightly upset that perhaps children aren't watching the muppets of the generations that are being born now or do you just accept that and the world is moving on and there's so much cgi around these days that kids aren't as interested i think kids will always be interested and sesame street is still going strong they did purchase the hotel a few few years ago you know kids still really really like puppets even when i was just hanging around with my nephews you know if you have a puppet they don't care about you they just look at the puppet even though there's no screen and no no, i'm not covered at all they just immediately gravitate to a piece of fabric that's moving and i think that's what is so good about puppetry and kids are really good at watching puppetry because they don't have a lot of cynicism they haven't developed that skill yet like we have do you think people like puppets because they're they're on the whole quite sweet and almost very naive to the world? I think people like puppets also because of the opposite of that. I think puppets can get away with stuff that actors just can't. Puppets can tell jokes that actors can't. Now, whether that's like really subversive and naughty jokes or whether it's just, you know, visual comedy. The way I like to think about puppetry is this. An actor, when they finish their role in, in a play or in a film, you know that they're going to go home, they're going to go to the trailer, they're going to have a cup of tea and call their mum. A puppet doesn't exist outside of that medium. A puppet is only alive when it's telling its story. They can, they can do so much more because there's almost a truthfulness to a puppet that an actor can't really match. You know, it sounds counterintuitive that Kermit the Frog could be more truthful and honest in the way that an actor can't be. But I think there's something about the way that a puppet tells a story that is always true within the frame of the story. And that's why I think they can get away with so much more. They just take up the space that they take up and nothing more. Well, you were afraid it was a cliche choice, but I think it's actually really sweet. It's clearly been an absolute cornerstone of your career. You couldn't possibly have dreamed where you'd be now, I'm sure, when you were watching The Muppets as a child. And one day, you may very well get to work on The Muppets. Is that a dream still in the pipeline? Oh, that would be incredible. That would be incredible just to see, you know, to go to that level. Uh, Working on Dark Crystal was was more, you know, similar for me because it was absolutely everything around it was geared to make these puppets alive. And Louis Leterrier, the director, was really good at making sure that everything supported the puppetry. Being a part of that and having everything support the puppetry was so, so amazing to be a part of. 
So your four TV shows that you are taking to Preston for the weekend is a TV show that makes you think of your childhood, which is Yu-Gi-Oh! A TV show that gets you laughing, which is Nathan for you. A TV show that gets you sweating, which is Firefly, R.I.P. And a TV show that is your free hit, the one you couldn't live without, is The Muppet Show. Brilliant, brilliant options there. But that's not all. You get to go to Preston and you get to take a TV personality with you. Could be an actor, could be a director, could be whoever you like. Could be a puppeteer, I don't know. Uh, But you get to take them to Preston and you get to watch those four shows on a continuous loop throughout the entirety of the weekend. Hopefully they'll like the choices too. Who are you going to go for? I was going to go for Steve Irwin. Oh, the legendary, legendary Steve Irwin. Icon Steve Irwin. And I don't know if he was in the room, I don't know if I could focus on the TV. So maybe it's not a good choice in that respect. I just want to hear him speak about animals and his life and his career. And I think he was he was another one of the TV shows that I could have said represented my childhood on Animal Planet. His show was just so good. He was so caring about everything. All his zookeeping work, all his conservation work, even the TV show itself was geared towards protecting animals. It wasn't about commodifying them for the show. It was about his work to protect them and keep them safe and make sure they have their own habitat. I remember watching him when we were younger and he was just, just just a mad Australian going about hugging crocodiles all the time. It was quite dangerous, some of the stuff, wasn't it? Well, yeah, ultimately it was, you know... Fatal. Kill- a man with a lot of heart. Do you think he'd like your TV choices? I don't know. Maybe he likes the Muppets. What would he make of Yu-Gi-Oh? It's a very selfish choice. You know, I don't know if this is a, you know, a weekend for Steve Owen. It's very much a weekend for me. Well, that's all right. You're sharing the options with him. If he hasn't seen any of them, it's a chance for you to introduce. What would you most like to introduce him to? Uh, I'll, I'll get, I'd like him to watch Firefly. He certainly won't have seen that. I'll tell you that. And we're not going to let you and Steve Irwin starve. You get to take uh, a snack of which you get an unlimited supply of. It can be anything in the world. It doesn't have to be healthy. doesn't have to be naughty. It can be whatever you want, but you do get an unlimited supply of it. It's all you can eat and it's all you can eat. I mean, peanut M&Ms. I really like peanut M&Ms. They're, they're very good. But also, I do like to have a savoury option as well. So that would be peanut M&Ms in one hand and then mozzarella dipping sticks in, in the other hand. Ooh, You're going to have to choose damn. you, young man. You're going to have to choose. You are going to satisfy one of us and then you're going to make the other one of us absolutely hate you because I love one of them and he loves the other one. Right, Elliot, get your, get, lay your cards on the table. Lay your Yu-Gi-Oh pack on the table. You don't like nuts. So we, we get it every week, you. <laughs> I absolutely despise nuts. I hate salt. I hate the taste of them. I think they're rank. I think they're crunchy. I think they stink things out. But I love mozzarella sticks. In any form, whether it's in a circle, whether it is actually in a stick, any dip can go with it. Salsa, tomato, dark tomato, whatever it is, it is lovely. I love them. But I, I assume, Luke, you're going to go for the peanut M&Ms to pitch Dark it. tomato? Where do dark tomatoes live? In the shadow realm? No, it's like, it's like a tomato, but it's not quite ketchup. It's like a, a darker tomato dip. Well, that sounds like you've made that up. Well done. It's true. I think McDonald's do it. Well, Hugh, I'm afraid you are going to have to make your decision here because you cannot have both. Uh, then it will be peanut M&M's. Why do you like peanut M&M's so much, may I ask? Because, by the way, they are delicious. I just, I, I like peanuts. I like chocolate. I like the outside, like, sugar bit. They're just a classic snack. Elliot took me once to M&M World when we had an hour to kill, when we had something to do in London, in Leicester Square. That was the most disappointing five minutes of my life. How come? It's just a shop that sells M&M's. You, you can buy some M&M pyjamas there. I don't want a rucksack, and I've got some pyjamas, thank you very much. They're very nice. They like bagpipes. <laughs> and you think Steve would like peanut M&M's? I hope he does. I don't want to disappoint him, but this is my weekend. He's my toy to play with for the entire weekend. (laughs) Well, anyway, thank you so much, Hugh. It's been an absolute dream. Uh, I've really enjoyed myself. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you.
I love puppetry and I love talking about puppets. And he spoke about puppetry so passionately. I, I was kind of a little bit in awe there. I really feel like we've learned something, you know. It's one of those episodes where we've really learned in depth about a world that we didn't know, some, or I didn't know so much about before. And he, as you say, he was so passionate about it. He loves it, doesn't he? I have no question that he's going to go on to be one of the biggest puppeteers of this generation. Wow, high praise indeed. But I think you're probably right. He certainly knew his way around uh, a puppet. He knew his difference from his string to his rod. <laughs> Um, <laughs> we all know the difference from our string to our rod, mate. <laughs> yeah, we had Yu-Gi-Oh! first as his childhood choice. But yeah, that was quite good. And I remember those trading cards on the school playground. Those people were sometimes a little bit nerdy. Uh, we were the Doctor Who trading cards kind of guys. <laughs> yeah. um, so we were a little bit cooler, I think, street cred. Not sure how it works. I don't know what the level is. Does is, is it go Yu-Gi-Oh! Doctor Who then Pokemon? I think Pokemon's certainly at the top because Pokemon Go then came back recently for phones didn't it? And that went mad. His laughter choice was Nathan for you, a Comedy Central show. I've heard of it, as I think you have, but I've never seen it. I've only seen bits. I don't think I've seen a full thing, but it's a really, really funny idea. And it would probably work in the UK as well because our comic actors and our comic minds are quite good at being subtle and tricking people. His TV choice that got him sweating was Firefly. Nothing I've ever seen, but I know a lot of people do love it. A lot of sci-fi nerds. Can you call them nerds? It's, good. it's a good term, nerds, isn't it? I think geek, neek. You can say what you like. You didn't say it to his face, neither did I. So say what you really feel. Geek is a thing. Geek chic is indeed a thing. Yeah, let, let's call it geek chic. I'm probably a nerd as well, so I, I, I'm, you know, I'm okay saying it. But the show I certainly didn't disagree on was his free hit choice, which was the Muppet Show. I'm so glad he chose it, and I love it. So awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that is that really, isn't it? It's an honour if you're asked to be on that show as well, isn't it? A complete honour and privilege. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. He's taking Steve Irwin to the Travel Lodge in Preston. Is that our first deceased member? Oh, it's a bit morbid of thought, but I think it probably is, actually. He was called the Crocodile Hunter, which makes him sound a little bit more threatening than he is, but obviously that's how he was marketed back then. He should anyway. be called the Crocodile Lover. Yeah. Actually, that's, 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 no, no, that's bad. You can't say that. that that's wrong. <laughs> that's worse. Sounds like a Channel 4 expose on bestiality. <laughs> Dispatcher's special. Yeah, but I think he would be very interesting. And something that I did say to his face and I cannot comply with is peanut M&Ms. I think they're the work of the devil. But I think peanut M&M's is, is, is a perfectly valid choice. And actually, once you pop, you can't stop. I know that's Pringles, who have yet to get back to us about sponsorship as well. But uh, M&M's really are nice. <laughs> but I know a lot of people with peanut allergies, and once once they pop, they, they die. So they will be stopping. So basically, watch out. You know, take care. <laughs> be a little bit vigilant. <laughs> yeah. 